Good morning, everyone. How we doing? Good. Awesome. Good to see you all. For those of you that don't know, my name is Michael. I'm the creative arts worship pastor here, and uh, I get to preach today. George has taken the Sunday off to spend some time with his family. He's been traveling back and forth from Africa and all over the place, so he's getting a much-needed break today. Uh, and I get the privilege of teaching. So, uh, yeah, you, this is what you get. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, we're, we're in a series. We're going through the book of Philippians, and we're calling it Joy Through All Things. Um, and so I'm going to pick up where George left off last week. Um, but I wanted to take a second and just give a little background on who Paul is, in case some of us aren't familiar with Paul, and you're like, who is this Paul person, and why do we care what he has to say? Um, and then two, just a little bit of how, why Paul's in prison, um, why this book's being written in the first place. Uh, then we're gonna, we'll read through the, the, the next section of the book that um, we have for today. I'll, it's a lot of Bible reading, um, so I'm just telling you up front, we'll be reading a little bit, and then I'll try to break it into sections, and we'll kind of break down what they're about. And then at the end, I have four points I want to try to pull away from what we read today. Does that sound like a good plan? All right. So starting out with Paul. Paul, originally named Saul, uh, grew up as a Pharisee, Uh, highly skilled in Jewish law and tradition. Pharisees were this elite uh, religious group in Jesus' time. They didn't get along well with Jesus. Um, They studied the scriptures, but they missed out on who Jesus was. And they're actually partly responsible, actually, they were responsible for crucifying Jesus um, on the cross. Uh, Saul led a violent persecution of the church of Jesus and his followers and uh, was confronted on his way to Damascus with a blinding vision of the risen Jesus. He loses his sight for three days. He gets connected with this guy named um, Ananias uh, who, who, um, who teaches Paul what he's missed out on basically. He gets baptized. He changes his name from Paul or from Saul to Paul which means small or humble. Uh, He goes on to plant several churches, travel around preaching the gospel of Jesus, and is responsible for for writing a large chunk of the New Testament. So that's who Paul is. Um, Now, why was Paul in prison? Um, Well, he called a Roman centurion fat, and they threw him in prison. And uh, that's not not true at all. Uh, This is funny, though. Uh, The... uh, the, Paul was going around preaching the gospel of Jesus. Now, we've heard, we use the word gospel in church a lot. If you've been around church, that we throw that word around, and it means some, one thing to us. But the word gospel actually is an English translation of a Greek word. Uh, neither of my parents spoke Greek, and I was homeschooled, so I don't speak Greek either. Uh, but I believe you pronounce it euangelon. Euangelon. That's the best you're going to get. Uh, But what it means is news that brings great joy. So that's what the word gospel means. And before it came to me in the gospel of Jesus, there was actually a gospel of Caesar. So Caesar had a gospel, the good news of Caesar. Um, This is, I'll read a little bit of the excerpt of the gospel of Caesar. The most divine Caesar, who was a ruler in, in the time, should we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending towards disillusion, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new era, Caesar, the common good fortune for all, the beginning of life and vitality. It goes on to say, um, being sent to us as a descendant, as savior, we put an end to war and has set all things in order, whereas having become 
God. So this was, the, this was the gospel of Caesar. Basically, Caesar was seen not just as a ruler, but as the almighty God who had come to bring salvation to his people. So when Paul is walking around talking about the gospel of Jesus, it's written in such a way to present Jesus as the true divine king who had come to bring true salvation to the whole world. Um, and it was a direct challenge to the so-called gospel of Rome. Um, and its peace, which was enforced through brutality, and its, uh, and its lack of actual salvation it provided. So we think of that word as a spiritual word, but actually it was a political thing. So this was a political word in this time. Um, and Paul's message was directly challenging the messaging of his day and offering an alternate view of reality. Needless to say, uh, Paul's message was not popular, and he ended up in jail on multiple occasions. Uh, And that's where we find Paul now. He's in prison, and he's actually, the book of Philippians is a thank you note back to the church of Philippi, which is who this was written to, who had provided him food and money in prison. George talked last week. I didn't know this until George brought this up last week, but back then when you were in prison, they didn't feed you food, so you relied on family and friends to provide food for you. So the church of Philippi had provided him food, so this whole letter is his thank you note back to them. Um, And so today's passage, we're going to look at Paul's reflecting and process, how Paul reflects and processes his current situation with with the the, the Philippians. Is that helpful to have that background a little bit? Yeah. So now what we're going to do, I'm going to read, we'll just start reading through this. I'll read a chunk, we'll pause, we'll break it down a little bit, and we'll try to move through it quickly. Um, but it's a little bit of Bible. So if you have your Bibles with you or your apps on your phone or you just want to look at the screen behind me, we're going to pick up in Philippians 1.12. Paul says, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. So Paul's reflecting on his situation, which is very bleak. He literally is facing life and death, which we'll see here in a little bit. And yet he's choosing to see it as an opportunity. He's choosing to see that God is actually using it to, to forward the gospel, which is Paul's mission, and it's also encouraging other Christians to be more bold with their faith. He continues, uh, some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These, procre- these proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true motives, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul continues to expand on this idea that God is continuing to take things that seem on the surface to be uh, negative and hurtful, and he's actually using them to his benefit. We see Paul take this thought process through the rest of this um, and uh, I, I used to go to a church, Bethany Baptist Church, that actually planted our church. And the pastor there, George, is our George's dad. And they have steps. 
and he would uh, step down to a lower step when he gave his own opinion. I don't have steps, so I'm, I'm going to sit on a stool. Uh, so this is Michael's opinion, and this is uh, not the opinion of Whitewater Church or the Bible per se, but I, I want to give an example. This example might be slightly controversial, and it might also um, only apply to half of the room. So I'm just going to go for this. Hopefully it's, it's, uh, it's not too out there. But uh, you guys familiar with Kanye, Kanye West? For those of you who don't know Kanye, he's a rapper. Um, some, some people say he's a genius. Um, others say he's crazy. He's a little bit of both. Um, he's actually bipolar, and he's done some crazy things like grabbing the microphone from Taylor Swift at an award and, and uh, all sorts of stuff, right? Well, recently he just put out a record called Jesus is King. And he, according to Kanye, he's had this transformation. He's met Jesus. He's given his life over to Jesus. Um, and he's repented from a bunch of the way he's acted. He started this church. They meet out in the middle of the, of the wilderness as when they started with a bunch of people singing worship together. And his record is, I think it's amazing. It, it goes through, he has a song on there about uh, honoring the Sabbath, putting your phones away, spending time with your family. He's got a song on there called God Is where he literally just walks through the gospel. Um, and it's amazing. Um, but Christians are having a hard time figuring out how to, what to do with this. Because Kanye's crazy, right? And he's done some crazy things, and I, I don't know. And uh, I just love it. Like, I just, <laughs> I love the controversy. I love how it messes with people. And they're like, ah, but, and, uh, and Kanye even talks about it. He's got a song on, on the record called Hands On where he, he says, said I'm fun to do a gospel album what have you been hearing from the Christians? They'll be the first ones to judge me, make it feel like nobody loved me. And I feel like he's calling out Christians, like, hey, like, I'm trying to spread the word. And um, again, this is my opinion. You don't have to agree with me, uh, but if you don't, you're wrong. His album was number one on iTunes for multiple weeks. It's gone gold two times, um, and it's preaching the gospel. And you know what? Kanye might do something really stupid in a couple months and screw it all up, or his next record might be Satan is King. I don't know, you know, but I think Paul would rejoice in the fact that the good news is being proclaimed. Michael's thoughts on Kanye. Thank you for indulging me. Uh, yeah, you can just... <laughs> uh, uh, there are also some scholars uh, who think more likely Paul was, when, he, when he's talking about the people that are talking negative, is actually referring to people who are gossiping about him or gloating. Like, see, we knew Paul was full of crap. That's why he's in, 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 in prison. Uh, either way, Paul's responding from a conviction that God continues to work things to, things to be, well things that seem to be a disadvantage into an advantage for the good news. I have, I'm dyslexic, so if I stumble all over things, just be patient. Uh, so let's, let's, let's continue. We'll pick it up at Philippians 1.18, and Paul says, uh, what does it matter, just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by speaking speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now and always in my body, whether by life or death. This is a famous scripture some of you may have heard. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. 
I do not know which I prefer. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. So Paul's reflecting here on his situation, and he's realized, he, he says, he says um, that he would actually, he knows that, he's hopeful that he'll be released, but it's very possible he's going to be executed. Uh, and he says, for him, it's preferable to die. It would be preferable, but if he's allowed to live, it would be for the benefit of others. Now, if you've grown up in the church, the Christian church tradition a lot, sometimes you can get this language or this thinking, like I actually ran into someone the other day, I don't remember who it was, but they were like, yeah, the, time, the times are crazy. Like, and it's true, our world's nuts right now. And, they would, and they'll say, you know, uh, uh, Jesus, come quick. Like, get, like get, get us out of here. Like, I'm over this, right? Or we sing so- songs like the hymn, you know, I'll fly away, oh, oh glory, which I love that song. But Paul doesn't see himself as stuck. He sees himself as sent into the mess. And we live in that tension, right? We live in a tension of we look forward to when Christ will come and redeem all things and bring his kingdom here. And yet we live in a kingdom that's not yet here. And so we're in this tension, but we're not stuck. We're sent into it with a mission and a purpose, right? And it's for other people, not ourselves. Um, I also find this section to be so, Paul's being so vulnerable. You can almost see him like thinking like out loud and processing as he's writing this, you know. There's just the way that it's written, you know, he's processing, you know, I I feel like I'm going to be released, but if I don't, then uh, that's better, you know, and because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can almost see him writing that and going, hmm, that's pretty good. That That should be a Bible verse, you know, like you just, there's a certain vulnerability to that that I just think is, is really awesome. Let's continue. Philippians 1, 27. Again, sorry, it's a lot of Bible, but um, we'll just, we'll keep chugging through it. Philippians 1, 27, he says, uh, only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, and he's talking about his opponents, and for them, this, him being in prison, uh, is evidence of their destruction, but, for, but it's really your salvation is what he's saying. It looks, like, it looks negative, and they're rejoicing in it, but really, they don't see that God's using it. This is God's doing, and he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now here, and now here that I still have. So Paul finishes this section by encouraging the Philippians to take heart, live as examples of the gospel, but he invites them into the story of Jesus, which is a story of suffering. Jesus suffered on behalf of us, and Paul is suffering on behalf of Christ, and he's inviting them into that story. So how do we apply this to our context? Um, the Bible, just like it challenged the messaging of Paul's day and goes against the thinking about how reality works, the Bible also challenges the thinking of our day. Our society tells us you should be happy. Your life should be fulfilling. You should have, you should be, your life should be happy. Um, if you're true to yourself and you're true to your truth, then life will go well for you. 
um, you, and that you should, your job should be fulfilling, your marriage should be full of fun and laughter and excitement. And uh, how many of you over the age of 20 know that that's not true, <laughs> right? Life is hard. Life is full of hardship. It's full of joy and hardship. It's full of happiness and sadness, whether it's losing a loved one, um, whether it's, you know, a marriage falling apart, you know, struggling with um, getting pregnant or, or losing a child, or something as simple as having a tough boss or a breakup, right? Life is full of hardship. And one of the problems that I see is that if a, ge- a generation growing up hearing, hey, if, if you can do and be whatever you want and life will treat you well and, and you, should, you should be happy, when they run into hardship, they have no capacity to handle it. They're not equipped for it. Um, they, they crumble into depression. And I mean, there's, there's no wonder that the, the depression, the suicide rates, the anxiety rates are skyrocketing right now. We're not prepared to handle hardship because we're told... Life should be happy. You deserve happiness. But that's not true to life, right? The reality is life is hard, and we need to learn how to suffer well. Paul is showing, his, showing this through his life as he attempts to model his life after the example that Jesus set. Um, and he is allowing us into his process through this book. So, how do we take away from Paul what he's giving us and put it into practice. And I want to break it down into four things we can learn from Paul. First of which is uh, Paul practiced thankfulness. This entire letter of Philippians is a thank you note. He's writing a thank you note from prison in an insanely bleak situation. He's literally facing death and life. Um, and he has every right to be like, my situation sucks and I'm the victim here. I'm really trying to help people. But instead, he chooses to be thankful. We see Paul's whole ministry moving forward marked by this choice to be thankful. And as later, we, we learn about him and his friend Silas are in prison yet again. Uh, it's the middle of the night, and rather than complaining, they choose to sing worship songs of thankfulness. And there's an earthquake, and the walls fall down, and the chains come off, and the jailer and his whole family come to know Christ. So his ministry is marked by choosing to be thankful and seeing how what on the surface looks as a disadvantage that God uses as an advantage. But you practice thankfulness, Right? As human beings, as creatures, we tend towards the negative by default. It's just the way we are. So unless we are intentional and actually spend time practicing being thankful, you, you won't. You'll, you'll, you'll dwell on the negative. Um, let's see here. Uh, the second is Paul's perspective that we live our lives for others. We live right now in our society. It's one of the most hyper-individualistic societies we've ever seen. We have access to more connectivity than ever before, and yet we are more isolated and disconnected than ever before. And if you need an example of this, just look at the way we drive. (laughs) Right? Washingtonians, we're the worst. We feel like nothing outside of the bubble of my little tin car exists. I say it this way. I say the golden rule of Washington driving is, this is your adventure. The road belongs to you. No one else matters. That's the way we drive. And again, (laughs) public service announcement. You drive in the right lane. The left lane is for passing. Okay? And listen, 
it doesn't matter if you're driving the speed limit. If somebody wants to speed past you above the speed limit in the left lane, that's their dice to roll. It's not your job to keep them in the speed limit. We share the road with other people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. I had to do that. I had to do that. But you know what? We're not as bad as, as L.A. We can say that. We can say that. Okay. Moving on. The gospel challenges the messaging of our day and invites us to live our lives, not primarily for ourselves, but for others. This is radical shift from the way most of us approach our lives. Three, we learn from Paul, don't suffer alone. Paul demonstrates incredible vulnerability by writing the Philippians and letting them in on his suffering and letting them in on his thought process. We learn from him an example to be honest and vulnerable with people when we're struggling and, and not just on social media, but face-to-face, right? Uh, that's, that's why a church exists. That's what we're about here at, at Whitewater. You know, we say belong before you believe. We say we're broken people learning to love broken people. Um, that's why we have community groups. It's a place where you can be real and honest with people. And that's scary. It takes vulnerability. It takes courage to let someone into your struggle. We learned about shame a couple weeks ago. Um, that idea that if people really knew who I was, like, would I be loved? And the answer in the community of Jesus is yes. Not always perfectly, but yes, because we're broken people, right? We don't always do it perfect, but that is what we're here for. Um, I had a community group a while back, a couple community groups ago, and we were, um, we were going around, and someone was sharing, we were sharing how we could be praying for each other. And uh, one person opened up and said, you know, I've actually been dealing with a lot of depression recently, and uh, I think I'm going to go on medication. And four other people in our group just broke down crying. And they were like, I also struggle with that, and I didn't know we could talk about that here. Yes, that's what this is for. It's a place to be real, to be seen, to be known, and to share our struggles with people. So if you're not plugged into a community group, I highly encourage you to, to, to do that. Number four, we partner with people in their suffering. We're not meant to go through life alone. And again, this is where community becomes very important. Similarly, if we're not the one going through a struggle and someone opens up about their struggle, we partner with them. And, um, and sometimes it's just the encouragement of them knowing that somebody knows. And then other times it's really practical. Like the Philippians, they actually gave Paul food and money and there's actual practical ways that we come around each other to suffer with each other. And... Uh, Again, this is where community groups are huge. We have so many p- community groups where when someone you know, is sick or is in the hospital, they'll go and they'll be with them. They'll set up food trains, um, all that kind of stuff. This is where community groups really, really shine. Um, and also, how many of you experienced going to a church, a bigger church, uh, maybe here, hopefully not here, where you've come and you've sat and nobody really says hi to you and you come weekend after week, you don't really connect with anyone. It's just kind of a place where you come and you slip through the cracks. I feel like a lot of people have that experience. I remember Whitewater when I knew everyone's name. Like, I remember that, and it was awesome. I don't know all of your names. Some of yours I've, I've uh, heard once or twice, and I've forgotten it, and I'm going to have to ask again. It's just the way my brain works. Uh, but as we grow, that can happen. And so the way we counter that is with community groups. 
so that as we're growing bigger, we're growing smaller and you're finding a way of connecting. Because the point isn't growth, right? It's not just growth for growth, but the point is we don't ever want to run out of room for people who need a place to be loved, who need a place to hear about Jesus and need a community to belong for. We always have room. There's always room in the family of God. So we try to keep from people falling through the cracks by getting smaller as we get bigger. So if you're not plugged in to a community group or a serve team, I highly recommend it. Um, Anyways, soapbox for me. I'm done. Uh, Following Jesus means we suffer temporary hardship for the sake of others in exchange for eternal joy and happiness. Following Jesus does not mean we're promised happiness this side of heaven. In fact, we are promised persecution and hardship. The Bible is true to life. It's not a fairy tale. I love that about the Bible. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat things. It doesn't say, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. It says, no, life's hard. It's, it's honest, it's real, and it gives us practical tools that if we practice, help us endure hardship. And hopefully people see us when we go through hardship, not crumbling into depression and anxiety, but they see us moving through it and it actually brings glory to, 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 to Jesus. So this week, uh, in your community groups, and if you're not plugged into a community group at home with your family or your friends, I wanna encourage you guys to practice being thankful. Spend time just going around saying what you're thankful for. Uh, look back on your life at times and hardship you've gone through and reflect on how God's been faithful through that, even maybe in the moments when it didn't seem like it. Uh, and if you're in the middle of, of a struggle and a hard time, I encourage you to try being vulnerable. Open up. Let someone in, especially someone in our community and in, in a Jesus-centered community. You'll be loved and you'll be encouraged and supported. I really encourage that. So those are my takeaways from the sermon. Was this helpful? Do you feel like we learned something from Paul today? Um, we're going to go into a time of worship, but before we do that, or as we do that, we're going to have communion. Um, and communion is something that we do at church. It's like, a, it's like a ritual or a practice where there's uh, crackers and grape juice and all that kind of stuff. But what it really comes from is before Jesus went to the cross, he was having dinner with all his disciples, right? They're having a meal together, and he grabbed the bread, and he said, this bread represents my body, which, which will be broken for you, and he broke it. And he said, this wine represents my blood, which will be spilled for you. And he says, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Now, what we've done with that at church is we have crackers and grapefruit, and we come and we do this here. But what he really meant was, when you're having a meal together, which we do all the time, Take a second and be thankful and remember the sacrifice that I made on your behalf so that you could have life. It's meant to be a joyful thing. And um, I grew up in, a, in a, a different church. I don't even know that this was taught. It's not like it was taught this, but I just, I remember communion feeling like this thing where you went up and you grab a cracker and a grape, grape juice and you sit and you just like remember all the bad things that you've done and feel bad and then ask God to forgive you, and then you take the grapefruit, right? Um, that's not the idea at all. I mean, there's a time to reflect and remember the seriousness of what God's done, but it was an invitation to when we eat meals together that we practice thankfulness. So we're going to have crackers and grapefruit uh, juice, because we don't have wine, you know, I wish. And uh, as, we, as we have the worship, uh, I encourage you to come down the middle aisles Go back the sides. And there's no, there's no right or wrong way to do this. If you want to grab the cracker and the grape juice, you want to throw it back and go back to your seat, that's fine. If you want to sit and you want to take some time to pray and then take it, you can. There's no wrong or right way. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion. Some churches have that rule. We believe that if Judas was able to sit at Jesus' table, then all of us can, right? So if you want to stand up with me, I'm going to pray. Lord, we love you so much. 
We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true, that it challenges our framework, it challenges our perspectives on life, um, that it's honest about the hard things, and it gives us practical tools to move forward. God, I pray that we would learn to be a f- people who are thankful in the midst of hard times, God. Um, I pray that people who are going through a hard time right now, God, that you would be close to them. You say that you're close to those that suffer. Um, and I think a big reason for that, God, you came to this earth as a human and you suffered horrible torture and murder on our behalf so that when we go through hard times, we can remember there's at least one person who knows what I'm going through. And I just pray that we would lean into that, God, that you'd walk with us through our weeks. Um, We just thank you that even though life's hard, God, you work all things for good. And I pray that you would continue to grow us as a community of people to look and act more like you and be more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen.